you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. The teenage rebel has long been somewhat of a romantic icon in American folklore, unless, of course, it is your teenager who is doing the rebelling. Rules, laws, and standards of morality can be so constraining to teenagers, just begging to be broken, ignored, and gleefully violated. Even at a time where it can be argued that teens enjoy excessive freedom and the widest of boundaries, teenage rebellion still exists and thrives. Those raised in Christian homes may have more to rebel against, even though they too can be indulged more than teens in the past. When we recognize that rebellion is a heart problem that has always existed, it makes more sense why even increased liberty will not do much to eradicate teenage rebellion. Add to that truth the encouragement from the world and the devil, and we have a real problem that must be solved. Teenage rebellion is not something to ignore, hoping youth just grow out of it at some point. The problem will either worsen or go underground, only to manifest again later in life. Simply defined, rebellion is any opposition to a person or system in authority. As the rules, laws, and standards multiply, so do the opportunities to rebel. Some teenage rebellion is more overt and obvious, while others are more subtle and hidden. For the purpose of this podcast, we'll consider three general categories of teenage rebellion that deserve our attention. The first category is rebellion against authority. A refusal to submit to authority is the textbook definition of rebellion, as I just said. This type of rebellion is most often manifested towards parents, yet it may occur against any person in authority. Also included is any resistance to and non-compliance of established laws, rules, and standards of morality. The second kind of rebellion is rebellion against society. This type of teenage rebellion is against the norms or the mores of society. Teenagers may dress differently, groom in abnormal ways, or behave in ways that are not considered typical. In a rapidly changing culture, it can be challenging to recognize what is actual rebellion. Most often, the rebellion against society will be accompanied by a rebellious attitude towards much that is considered normal. And then the final category is rebellious experimentation. This last type of teenage rebellion includes all types of experimentation, including drugs and alcohol, sexual activity, and other risky behavior. These rebellious actions can also be considered rebellion against authority or society. Now, some experimentation may be considered normal, but most often it emanates from a rebellious heart. So let's dig down deep today into the multifaceted problem of teenage rebellion, using the truths of God's Word to address this issue of the heart. Is teenage rebellion just a normal part of human development? 
Is it inevitable that all human beings will rebel at some point during the teenage years? There are those who would give a resounding yes to these fundamental questions. When one begins with the belief that the human being is basically good, then what Christians call rebellion is deemed to be good as well. After all, it is reasoned a child is learning how to be an adult, which means he or she has to begin to think and act independent of authority. Sometimes that will include some type of overt rebellion, especially if the rules and laws are too binding and constricting. So does this wisdom originate from Scripture or from somewhere else? While we may sympathize with the teenage rebel, God's Word brings a radically different perspective on the matter. And if we are determined to offer biblical counseling on the issue of rebellion, we must be grounded in essential biblical principles on the matter. So here's the first and foundational truth. We are all rebels. While it is tempting to view much of humanity as good people who just make mistakes from time to time, God's word paints a different picture. Adam and Eve did not mistakenly eat the forbidden fruit. They purposely rebelled against God's clear command. God did not treat them as innocent victims of the devil's schemes, but lawbreakers who were fully accountable for their sin. After the entrance of sin into this world, all people are now born sinners with the desire and mindset to rebel against God and his ways. As we read in Romans 3, 10 and 11, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Teenagers rebel because they have rebellious hearts. They are not anomalies among a planet full of good, decent, and moral people. This truth may not be comforting, but it is essential when we are addressing the problem of teenage rebellion. Unless God's saving grace intervenes, every child will rebel well into his or her teenage years. As the Apostle John writes, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. 1 John 3, verse 8. Rebellion is truly an historic, universal problem. So from the outset, we begin with a right understanding of sin. Teenagers sin because they are born sinners. They rebel because they are rebels. If we are surprised that teenagers rebel, it may be because we don't hold a biblical view of sin. Or maybe we are willing to accept that teenagers from non-Christian homes or who have had bad parents may rebel, but not our own good teenagers. While it certainly may shock us to discover our teens participating in certain rebellious activities, the reality check is that rebellion is in their spiritual DNA. Now, this does not excuse teenage rebellion or somehow make it acceptable in God's sight. The biblical truth is that all human beings deserve death at the hands of a holy God, since they are a rebel force against God. But the good news is, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans 5.10 the first and only solution to teenage rebellion is to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Which leads us to an important companion truth. Not all teens rebel. If all human beings are born into this world in rebellion against God, doesn't that mean all teenagers will rebel? 
Not necessarily. All teenagers certainly have the ability to engage in acts of rebellion, given the right or wrong opportunity. But this doesn't mean that all teenagers will rebel against God, parents, or society at some point from age 13 to age 19. To believe that all teenagers naturally rebel is not the same as the belief that we were all born sinners. As I said earlier, what is typically proposed is that teenage rebellion is simply a part of healthy human development. The thinking is that to actually move from childhood to adulthood in a productive manner, one must engage in rebellious activities and have rebellious attitudes. Rebellion as a universal teenage rite of passage actually removes the truth of rebellion as emerging from sin. A corollary to the belief that all teens naturally rebel is the view that those who don't rebel will develop some sort of mental or emotional problems. Teenagers who are law keepers or who have some level of moral integrity are suspected of not being real or able to express their true identities. While it certainly is true that teenagers who are simply self-righteous or pridefully moralistic also have problems and are even operating from a rebellious heart themselves, it is a lie that a holy life is somehow defective. People who don't rebel in significant ways during their teenage years may end up rebelling later as adults. And teenagers who seem outwardly pure and virtuous may be covering up some deep heart rebellion. Yet these truths do not mean it is undesirable or foolish for teenagers to not rebel. Parents should be wildly excited when their young people make it through the teenage years without significant rebellion. But if teenage rebellion does occur, it should be treated as a problem to be solved, an opportunity for biblical change to happen. Now let's address the problem of God's law. The Apostle Paul writes, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Romans 7, 7. To the rebellious teen, God's law is the problem. If it wasn't for all those rules, life would be free and easy. But the truth is that the law of God is perfect and holy. As Paul states, we human beings would never know we are sinning if it wasn't for God and his law. He continues in verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So in a real true sense, God's law is the problem. It does expose our sinfulness and heart rebellion. But again, our team must be reminded that the law is not sin. In other words, it is not the real problem that must be eliminated. We need God's law so we will turn to the only one who can save us from our sin. So why does Kyle, a 16-year-old, refuse to go to church with his family? When you ask him, he first talks about being angry that his parents left their old church, where all his friends worshipped. Then he shares that the sermons are boring and that they don't do anything for him anymore. Kyle has read the entire Bible already and has it all figured out. So while there are several important issues to address in Kyle's life, he is clearly rebelling against God's law. 
He is refusing to worship God and live in community with God's people. He is self-deceived to think he knows the Bible and is living by its truth. Kyle needs to be helped to see how much disdain he really has for God's law. His misbehavior at school and his bullying of other teens just confirm that he is not conforming to God's law. If he is blaming God's law for his rebellion, then he doesn't recognize its purity and holiness. Ultimately, we want our teen rebels to not just go from hating God's law to simply accepting it as pure and holy. Our goal for them is to actually love God's law. The psalmist gives our teens the right example. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119.97 Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Psalm 119, verse 77. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Psalm 119.92 Are these just mere sentiments that are out of the reach of our modern teens? or heart realities that are possible by the work of the Spirit. While it may seem a distant dream when a teenager is in the midst of some deep rebellion, it should still be the ultimate objective. Having this sort of love and delight is not just a matter of trying harder to obey the law, but seeing the glory and goodness of the lawgiver himself. In the end, we want our rebellious teens to imbibe this truth. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 1. Now let's address the problem of parental strictness. If the law of God shows us our sin as well as the holiness of God, what role does the system of rules of particular parents play in teenage rebellion? There have always been those who suggest that parents who are overly strict in their rules and discipline can cause or contribute to rebellious activity. It is common sense to suppose that parents who exhort some level of a totalitarian regime upon their children may provoke the production of little rebels. This certainly can be the case when parents have not shifted from the tighter control required in raising younger children to the training of teens required for healthy decision-making and critical thinking. If one or both parents appear to be treating their teenager as a young child, refusing to give basic freedoms, or being restrictive in a way that is beyond even the law of God, then rebellion may result. In some cases, this may be pretty obvious. In others, it is not as plain. Yet any thought that teenagers are not to blame for rebelling against their strict parents' rules must be rejected. While we may understand how hard it is to obey rules that appear far too restrictive or without real justification, disobeying parents is always wrong, Ephesians 6 verse 1. Biblical counseling of the teenage rebel always sounds like, Yes, I understand that rule or standard doesn't seem fair, but God commands you to obey anyway. This includes all human authorities, as in the case of Kyle, who continues to be suspended from school because he thinks those rules are stupid too. Obedience doesn't begin with an assessment of whether or not a rule is right or fair. In other words, even if the teenager has a clear case of being treated unjustly by his parents, he is still responsible to God to obey with all his heart. No finger can be 
truly pointed at a parent for causing a rebellious response, even if it is agreed that the rules are too strict. It may be wise for parents to get counsel on how to make changes in their parenting style and their rule structure, but this is not the ultimate solution to teenage rebellion. Teenagers must own the fact that regardless of the perception of reality of unjust rules, their obedience is required. Then at the other extreme is the problem of parental passivity. Let's consider the case of Larry, a 17-year-old who has turned his bedroom into his own personal condo. He is not only wasting his mind and life on useless pursuits, but he's teetering on the brink of not graduating from high school. As mentioned already, it is tempting for parents to see this as just a natural stage or phase through which all teens must go. Larry's parents seem to be passively hoping that their son will just grow out of this rebellious stage. There's no doubt that many teenagers do learn from their rebellious ways and mature into law-abiding young adults. But crossing our fingers hoping for the best is not the responsible approach to parenting teens. Larry needs a mom and dad who will challenge his choices and behaviors. He needs parents who will call him to a better standard of living. He may not want lectures or criticism, but he certainly doesn't need passivity. In a case like this, parents must do the hard and exhausting work of biblical confrontation and loving rebuke. Larry and teens like him still need discipline, even though he's nearly out of the home. Banking on just outgrowing these behaviors is foolish and irresponsible. Oftentimes, teenagers are rebelling partly because they are longing for the love and attention of their parents. That may sound overly simplistic, but even teenagers can behave in ways simply to get attention, even if it is purely negative attention. Extreme forms of rebellious activity certainly have a way of mobilizing parents to get involved. And even teens who simply wall off parents and other loved ones are really wanting someone to take the time and have the courage to break down those barriers. A hands-off, passive parenting approach may seem loving, but it actually screams apathy and rejection. There's no doubt that many parents feel pushed away and rejected by the rebellious teen. Yet the love of Christ should compel parents to pursue and move towards their teens, not away from them. There are certainly times where it is wise to step back and allow the Holy Spirit to work on the heart of the rebellious teen. Yet parents should never communicate a willingness to passively abandon a teenager and leave him to himself. Well, now let's shift gears to consider the principle of conformity versus individuality. Your teen may be rebelling against the real or perceived expectations of society. Oftentimes, this is manifested in style of dress, grooming habits, and entertainment choices. In days past, the classic teenage rebel was the one refusing to conform to everyone else, swimming against the mainstream, standing out as an individual. Your teenager may refuse to be like his or her other siblings or the family lifestyle in general. He or she may want to stand out in the youth group, pushing against prudish Christian teens. Or the rebellion may be against society at large, rejecting political, social, or cultural norms. Whatever the case, the desire to be different is fueled by a number of self-issues. It may be simple pride and the desire to live in a self-exalting way. 
It may be a deep sense of insecurity combined with the need to be a people pleaser in a very distorted way. Whether driven by arrogance or self-pity, anger or anxiety, the non-conforming teen must be challenged to look at motivations of the heart. The question of why must also be followed by an investigation into what the teen is gaining through this quest for individuality. The central problem of this type of rebellion is that the teenager typically ends up conforming to the world's standards rather than God's standards. How many of our teens see all the sinful behavior around them and decide to rebel by becoming more righteous and pure? How many are growing up in a pagan home and choose to go against the tide by living for Jesus? Thankfully, there are some out there. Yet you will more likely observe teenagers replacing what is godly with what is ungodly. They need to hear and obey the words of the Apostle Paul. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12.2 The longing for nonconformity should never end up in the refusal to conform to God's standards. Any sense of individuality must be connected to who I am in Christ, not who I am on my own. Redirect the desire to be different to the activity of not conforming to the ways of this world. Rebelling against this worldly culture of ours results in conforming to Christ. Then there's the related problem of rebellious experimentation. What if the teenager is rebelling by experimenting with drugs, alcohol, smoking, or other types of dangerous behavior? The problem of drug and alcohol use has been covered in a previous podcast. But the question to answer here is, from where does the desire to try forbidden things come? When the question is put that way, it is natural to think back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Their decision to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil originated with the desire to have open eyes and to be like God. So ultimately, they were seeking a higher knowledge apart from conformity to the will of God. Is this the case with our teenagers who are experimenting with unlawful things? Certainly, they are seeking knowledge and experiences that are often above their pay grade. Rebellious teens often want to be adults when they are not ready for adult responsibilities nor able to properly process adult experiences. Helping a teenager understand the prideful lust for knowledge and experience in order to be godlike rather than godly must be an essential part of our counsel. Rebellious experimentation of a laundry list of dangerous substances or activities are also fueled by the longing for risk-taking. So again, what is at the heart of extreme risky behavior? For one thing, safe can be perceived to be boring. Satan can tempt our teens to participate in sinful, risky activities by convincing them that they are the source of real life. In the extreme, teens can become addicted to the rush of risky behavior, believing that anything normal is life-destroying. While it is thrilling to do something dangerous and live to talk about it, there is no room for risky behavior that goes against God's word. It's one thing for your teen to attempt skydiving or bull riding. It's quite another to put illegal substances in their body to experience their effects. 
doing sinfully dangerous things in this life will not lead to the abundant life and could even lead to the teenager's demise. So let me begin this last section of the podcast by talking about behavior change. When a teenager is caught up in rebellious activities, it is normal for parents to demand a change of behavior. Typically, the focus is on stopping bad behaviors and avoiding situations and friends that only encourage those wrong behaviors. While Larry's habit of listening to heavy metal music and playing violent video games may not necessarily be sinful behaviors, they are contributing to his rebellion against school and healthy educational endeavors. So in this instance, do we require Larry to change radio stations and give up his gaming lifestyle? Possibly. But what behaviors will replace the ones which are associated with an overall rebellious attitude? And what if Larry just changes behaviors while his parents are watching, going underground with the activities he still desires? Outward conformity without heart change will only last so long. Yet when the rebellious behaviors are clearly sinful, unhealthy, and destructive, they must be changed. Kyle must stop bullying younger teens and participating in the other unlawful stunts he's performing at school. Even if there's no heart desire to be righteous, the law demands that we obey or pay the consequences. Strict accountability may be necessary to ensure that the teen has stopped the rebellious behavior, at least for a time. To be clear, basic behavior change is not the ultimate goal of solving teenage rebellion, but that does not mean it should not be expected. Future right behaviors must be encouraged to replace the present rebellious behaviors. Most likely, your teenager will find it very difficult to stop their behaviors, especially if they have become habitual. That eventually will allow you to teach a reliance on the work of Christ to change stubborn rebellious behaviors. From bad behavior, we must move to the problem of the bad attitude. As much as your rebellious teenager needs a change of behavior, an attitude change is also required. 16-year-old Mary seems to have a bad attitude almost every day. She vacillates between overt rage and self-pitying sullenness with very little in between. Clearly, a better attitude would make her parents happy and probably change the entire atmosphere of the home. So what exactly is an attitude? An attitude is a settled way of thinking about something or someone. Mary seems to have the attitude that she is better than the citizens of her small town and their narrow, boring lives. This thought pattern of superiority keeps her from being relational, creating destructive, negative emotions. While there are many sources for unbiblical attitudes, they all surround a wrong view of self, God, and other people. Dwelling on thoughts of unfairness and injustice will also produce the attitude of a victim. Then rebellious behaviors will proceed from those rebellious attitudes. So how do we help teenagers to change that bad and rebellious attitude? By its very definition, an attitude is a settled way of thinking that doesn't just change by parental command. The bad attitude will certainly provoke anger and frustration from parents. But turning that anger against the teenager's bad attitude will not be effective. Instead, out of godly compassion, we are to show our teens the futility of their thinking. The lies they are believing must be challenged with the truth. 
attitudes that do not glorify God have to be removed. Not conforming to the patterns of this world includes the renewal of the mind. Only when the Holy Spirit transforms minds and the teenager begins to believe the truth will a bad attitude change to a positive one. It's not about just having a positive attitude or a happy disposition, but growing in a Christ-like pattern of thinking. Finally, we must deal with the heart of a prodigal. At this stage, Kyle, Larry, and Mary are still living at home with some possibility to change from their rebellious ways. But what happens when a teenager follows the example of the prodigal son in Luke 15? If a teenager has either left the family physically or just emotionally and mentally, parents have a much bigger challenge on their hands. It will take great wisdom and discernment to respond to the teenager who is rejecting all parental authority and ultimately God's authority. The heart of a prodigal is one that is prepared to walk away from all that is right and true, all that is godly and virtuous. The parable of the prodigal son points us to the truth that we may have to say goodbye to our teens as they walk down the road, grieving as they go. We'll have to pray and pray some more, waiting for them to return one day after the Holy Spirit changes the heart. It's a tough place to be, but it is a sad reality of long-standing rebellion. The prodigal son essentially told his father to drop dead, wanting only the benefits of independence without the responsibility. Just imagine how the father felt as his son lived out his rebellion. But then, by God's grace, the rebellious prodigal returns. And how did the father respond? With a fattened calf in the party of the century. Clearly, this parable is a picture of all of us rebels returning to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Yet it also gives us a pattern for how to respond to our rebellious teens after they see their sins and repent. Unfortunately, depending on the situation, parents can be less than gracious and even suspicious of the penitent rebel. True repentance does require forgiveness and reconciliation on our part with the opportunity to live according to God's law and parental rules again. Yet it should bring great joy to see real heart change, attitude transformation, and altered behavior. While rebellious behavior may happen again, the giving of grace, mercy, and forgiveness will be used by God to bring about future change by God's grace alone. If you want to learn more about helping rebellious teens biblically, remember to pick up my forthcoming book, Pursuing a Heart of Wisdom, Counseling Teenagers Biblically, available from Christian Focus. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.